I am so thankful to be here tonight, guys. I'm so thankful um, that you guys would want to come hear me, of all people, talk about Jesus and talk um, about Scripture and, and about Him, and, and I'm just humbled by that. Um, so thank you for being here. If you guys don't know, um, I, my name's Jake. I don't know if that's been, it's probably been covered, but I'm an intern here at the house, um, and I would love to hang out with you guys. If you're sitting in the pew right now and you are a uh, 17 to 20-something dude, I want to hang out. So uh, <laughs> quite literally, that, that is my job, and that's what I, I want to do. I am from Denver, Colorado, so I actually drove 1,300 miles to hang out with you. Um, so if you want to approach me after this or sometime in the hub, uh, please do, because that's actually easier than me asking you on a coffee date. So um, anyway, I would love to hang out with you guys, and uh, I'd love to get to know you. But with that, I will uh, tell you guys a little bit about myself before we, we get into the, the hardcore stuff here tonight. Um, like I mentioned, I was born um, in Denver, Colorado, just south of here. And actually, do we have my, my baby picture? <laughs> just south, not south of here. That's me uh, as a tot. Um, I, I don't know if you can read that from where you're sitting, but that is a Colorado Rockies shirt. I get a lot of flack for loving my Colorado teams, but since day one, I was sporting that stuff. Um, and, and we'll get into my, my baseball career later because that was actually a real thing. Uh, and then the next picture is me a, a couple years later. Um, Calvin Klein called and they were like, we need you, and I was like, fine. <laughs> and <laughs> that joke was actually uh, made by Kelly, my girlfriend, so I can't steal credit for that. But um, that was me, I was probably like, four years old at the time, um, and that was my prime. I peaked then, and then here I am. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but with that, I want you to, to keep that picture up there. But I was born in Denver, Colorado. It's not just south of here. Um, it's, a, it's a little bit west of here, about 1,300 miles, um, and grew up in a, a pretty affluent community, um, this town called Highlands Ranch, Colorado. It's about 30 minutes south of Denver. It's a, it's a suburb of Denver. Um, and I kind of grew up in this, this sheltered bubble. Like, all I knew from age zero to age 18 was Highlands Ranch, Colorado, and, and I just kind of thought that everybody had the same upbringing as me, and they had the same uh, perks and same family, and, and I never really knew the outside world until I left for college. Um, but when I first asked about God. When, when God occurred to me, um, I was actually, I was that guy. I was actually like about four years old. And uh, a couple weeks ago, if you guys were here for Eric's sermon, he talked about when his dad first talked to him about the birds and the bees. And of all places, his dad picked a McDonald's to talk to him about that, um, which wasn't super weird to me because the first time that I heard about God, I was in a Burger King. Um, <laughs> Eric was eating a, eating a nugget, I believe he did this motion, eating a nugget, uh, when he learned about that topic, and I was eating a Whopper when I learned about God. And I remember sitting there, and I'm sitting across my mom, her and I were on this uh, mother-son date, and um, I looked up at her, and this question occurred to me, because I'd been watching a lot of TV, and I said, Mom, are we good guys or bad guys? And she looked at me with kind of wide eyes and was like, well, we're good guys. And I said, okay. And, and as that little guy, I said, well, how do you know? And so she started talking about God, and um, 
about how he, he sees all that we do and, and he's, he's up there in this place called heaven and, and we can get to heaven someday and it was this big complex thing and, and really all that I left there knowing as a four-year-old was there's somebody watching me and, and I think he wants me to be good so I, I better start being good because if that dude can see everything, whoa. Um, and and that, that image of God, that there's, there's somebody watching me, but he's kind of a mystery, I don't really know who he is, that notion followed me um, pretty much until my sophomore year of college. And at the end of this talk, I, I will pick up there, I, I will pick up from my sophomore year, but that was kind of my um, idea of God. And that leads into the beginning part of this, um, and, and I think it's really important that we we understand how God sees us, and then that also begs the question, how do we see God? So we'll go, we'll go through this, and then I'll, I'll pray for us after this. But to illustrate how God sees us, I, I have four analogies for you. So if you want to write this down, you can write this down. I have four analogies, and they build off of each other. And in and of themselves, there's no way that they can encompass the, the totality of God's love for us and exactly how he feels for us. And even all together, they won't do that. But in our, our limited understanding, our human understanding, um, they're the best things that we have. So the first analogy of how God sees us is this. It's similar to how an artist sees an artifact. Now, an artist has this picture in his head of, of what a, a, maybe a clay pot will look like when he's done with it. And he's willing to, to work with it for hours upon hours and days upon days to make it perfect because he knows it can be perfect. And he knows what it looks like in his head, but it's going to take, it's going to take a lot of, of molding and, and patience and time. So that's the first analogy. The second analogy is this. It's how a man sees his dog. Um, if you think, if you've ever had a dog, um, you know that it takes a lot of training. And the reason that you want to train it is you're trying to make that dog more lovable. You already love that dog. That's, that's a given. If you've ever seen a golden, golden retriever puppy, you know what I'm talking about. You already love that dog. But in order for it to be more lovable and it to love you, you've got to discipline it. And that's not fun. That's not fun, you know, grabbing a dog by, by the scruff and telling it no or, or yelling at it. And the dog doesn't understand. It doesn't really know what's going on. But you're doing it because you love it. The man is doing this because he loves the dog. So that's our second analogy. Third analogy is this, and this one might seem kind of obvious. It's how a father sees his son. A father, in the same way that the artist sees the artifact, knows the man that his son can be someday. But in order for him to get there, he's got to teach him lessons, kind of how he was teaching the dog. And a father has a, a certain authority and sort of dominion over his son for a certain number of years. So he has to exercise that, that authority over his son and, and, and reprimand him and discipline him because he loves him and he knows the man that he can be. So that's the third analogy. And the fourth analogy is this. It's how a husband sees his wife. I don't know if any of you have ever been in love. Maybe you're currently in love. Maybe they're, instead of a person, a thing or a hobby or something you love, maybe your parents are in love and, and you've seen it and you've tasted it. You know what it looks like. And when a man loves his wife, that is, there's this unconditional element that comes into play. And if you've ever seen a, an elderly couple at a diner, you know, they're 80 years old and they're holding hands and they're kissing each other, sometimes it's, you're prone to wonder, why, how? 
ah, they're, they're so, oh, how have they made it that long? It doesn't make sense. But there's this unconditional love at play there where, where looks have faded and personalities have maybe changed and there's less energy, but love has held through. So how, how a husband sees his wife. So those are the, the four analogies. And I want you to, to think about those. If you haven't thought about God seeing you in any of those ways, I want you to think about that. And then how do we see God? I think tonight's topic is a, is a really great way to maybe understand how we see God. Because how you see pain and suffering, I think, is really indicative of who you see God to be. Maybe you see God as a punisher or a fun sucker. Maybe when you see pain and suffering, you think it's, it's God taking his wrath out on, on you because you've been sinful or somebody else has been sinful or the fall of man has caused him to do that and you seem to be a punisher. Or you feel bad about drinking alcohol this weekend or having sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you feel like he's just a fun sucker. He doesn't want us to have fun. Maybe you see him as a pocket God, which I'm so glad I'm wearing this shirt tonight because this will be perfect. Um, maybe you see him as a pocket God. Maybe, maybe you only think of him or maybe you only pray to him when you need him most, when you are suffering or you see suffering and you're, you're in this moment of desperation and you haven't thought about God for a really long time, but all of a sudden, boom, he's there and, and, and that's when you need him and that's when you talk to him and then when things are good, you put him right back. Maybe he's, maybe he's a pocket God. Maybe you see him as a redeemer and a loving father. Maybe when you, you see destruction and affliction, maybe, maybe you see God picking people up from the rubble and building them back up again and giving them strength in, in a way that they couldn't have done by themselves, and, and maybe you see him glorifying his kingdom through that. Maybe you see him as a redeemer. However you see him, um, I want to read this, this one verse, and then we'll pray. Um, and there are plenty of, there's plenty of scripture that, of other people talking about who God is. And there's scripture of Jesus talking about things that he says about himself, about who he is. And in fact, Jason gave a, a whole sermon series last semester on what God said about himself. But I want to use this, this first verse. This is out of 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Um, and it says this. Whoever does not know, does not know love... Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You've probably heard this verse before, but, but let me read it again. Let, let it sink in. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I'm not going to really go into that and tell you what to think about that, but I encourage you when you think about who you see God to be, remember this verse that, that he is love. And if, if your definition of who God is doesn't quite fit that, then I would rethink it. Please pray with me. Father, I, um, I am humbled by the opportunity to, to preach your word tonight. I pray that, that this message um, is not only yours, that these words are not only yours, but that they reach the ears in this room tonight, Father. I pray that in whatever situation that these students are in here tonight, that, that they're able to, to have open ears and eyes and hearts and minds um, for this message tonight. I pray that I, I'm not a heretic when I talk about your word and, and this topic. 
And I pray that by, by the end of this talk that these people feel loved and they feel hope and they feel joy. We love you, Father, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, to kick things off, I, um, I found myself in, in preparing for this talk really saying the words pain and suffering, pain and suffering a lot, and you're going to hear that a lot tonight. But we often use them kind of in the same context, in the same sentence. We say, you know, you know pain and, and suffering, pain and suffering. And, and we kind of think that they're one and the same sometimes, but, but really they're two different things. Um, and uh, I think that's important to think about, that um, sometimes you, you really claim that you're suffering, but it might just be uh, pain in the short term. And then other times you might just claim that, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just getting a lot of pain right now, but maybe you've been suffering for a long time. I, I don't know where each of you come from or, or what baggage you're carrying with you tonight, but, but the fact of the matter is at some point in your life you've probably suffered. You probably will suffer at some point. Jesus even tells us that, that, that we will be persecuted for what we believe in. But I think you should, you should think about that in your life. A lot, a lot of you have, have come in here with a lot of, of heavy stuff, and, and you might be feeling guilt and, and shame for something you've done or something that's happened to you. I don't, I don't mean to, to get sound too morbid or anything like that, but st statistics will show that a lot of people in here have been sexually assaulted or, or maybe raped at, at an early age. I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of you have gone through horrible things that I will never understand. Some of you it might be even feeling guilty because you haven't suffered. You, you felt like you've, you've walked through life sort of with this, this, blissful, this blissful walk and you haven't suffered, and you're, maybe you're even feeling guilty because maybe you're not one of those people. Wherever you, you, you find yourself, you, you're, maybe you're thinking of something, something you've, you've gone through or where you're at. I've found that there are, when it comes to suffering, there are um, two main types of suffering, and those two are moral and natural suffering. And moral suffering, the first one I'll talk about, is this, this suffering that we bring on ourselves. Have you ever put yourself through something? Maybe at the time you didn't realize it, but you kind of put yourself through something and then looked back and Maybe you were blaming God that whole time, but it was you all along. I'll give you, I'll give you kind of an, an example, um, and I'll use this, this analogy. Um, it's actually not an analogy, it's more of a fact, but a lot of times we will go through something or we'll see something in our world and we'll go, where was God in that? Why, why didn't he just stop it? A popular question asked in our culture in our current time today is, if God is all-powerful and all-loving and omnipotent and he can do anything, then why does he let people starve to death? There are people all over the world starving to death. And it's an interesting question to ask because, I don't know if you, you know this, I discovered this in my research, but there's actually enough food on our planet right now to feed everybody. 3,000 calories a day. And if you don't know much about nutrition, that's okay, because I didn't either. But 3,000 calories is not only enough to feed everybody, but it's enough for everybody to become a bodybuilder. That's a lot of food. Is God doing that, or are we doing that? I don't mean to, to use that to make, you to make you feel guilty, but that's, that's kind of an example of this moral suffering, suffering that we, that we bring upon ourselves and our selfish ambition that, that we cultivate. 
And the second thing is, is natural suffering. When you see tsunamis and Hurricane Katrina and volcanoes erupting and horrible things happening like that that are totally out of our control um, that, that cause suffering, things that we couldn't have, have brought upon um, ourselves. But there's, there's scripture early in Genesis that, that talks about, um, you know, after the fall of man, after Adam and Eve ate the apple and, and there was the fall of man that um, suddenly there were thorns and thistles on plants and, and women would now um, go through pain and childbirth and, and men would, would experience pain in their labor and things like that. It begs the question, um, why doesn't he just stop it? Why, why, why does God, you know, does he want us to suffer? If he's all-powerful, why, why can't he stop it? Why didn't God just make a world without pain and suffering? And the answer to that question is he did. In Genesis 1, uh, verse 31, it says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. God saw all he had made, and it was very good. It was, it was perfect. I want, I want to be clear about something tonight. Um, maybe you've never even heard this said before. It's something I never heard said before, but it's something that I, I found um, studying this topic, was that God didn't create evil and suffering. What he created was a world in which that was possible. Now, why would God create a world where that was possible? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted to give us free will. He wanted us to, to choose. Why, why would he give us free will? Because he wants us to love him. God already loves us, and he doesn't, he doesn't force us into this relationship with him where, where we automatically love him. If you love somebody or your parents love each other or you love something, you weren't forced into that. You actually chose to love that person or love that thing, and God wants us to do the same thing. And in order to choose to love God, we must, we must have free will. We must have the ability to choose. But there's this tricky thing. When we have free will, we don't always choose, and we don't always choose the correct thing. I, I more than anybody, know that. I spent most of college choosing wrong. You know, I have, I have my hands here, and, and I can do whatever I want with them. I could put a gun in these hands, I could, or I could put food in these hands, and I could, I could feed the homeless. It's up to me. And predestination is a whole other topic that we could talk about later. In fact, Jason Leonard would be a great person to talk, about, talk, talk with about that. But, but we do have free will. We, we can do whatever we want. And we can choose him, or, or we can choose against him. but we have free will because God wants us to choose him. I, uh, you saw the, the images that are, are very hard um, to watch of Jesus' crucifixion. And it brings me to, to tears every time because I, I, I don't feel worthy, but there's a point, there's a point to seeing that image. 
and I'm going to actually kind of describe it in, in medical detail uh, for you, but the reason being is that I think we often sort of cheapen this, this picture of the crucifixion. We often, we, we hear growing up, you guys have probably heard all the time growing up in church that Christ died for your sins and he was resurrected in three days and, and, and all that. And you, maybe you've even heard some things about crucifixion, but what did, that, what did that actually look like? Have you ever thought, even prior to tonight, what that even looked like? Or what it must have felt like for him? A lot of you have gone through a lot of things and, and your story is going to be different than the person sitting next to you. But maybe you've, you've felt this, this way and, and I felt this way at one point in my life that, that maybe God you know, doesn't, get, doesn't get my story. You know, because what I've done, my sins, my errors, they're different than the next person and, and they're just so unique to me and I've, I've sinned so badly and he, maybe he just doesn't get it. In fact, you know, four-year-old me could see him watching, but maybe he didn't see that. I, I, I don't know. But maybe he, he just doesn't get that. I need, to, I need to shape up because I don't want that God seeing me doing these things. He, maybe he doesn't get it. Maybe he doesn't know my pain. I want you to hold on to that thought because it's something I've thought and many of you have probably thought. It's a natural thing to think. I hope you know that. But let's, let's talk about the crucifixion in, in detail, right? When, before I came up here, we, we saw um, Jesus getting nailed to the cross, but a lot actually happened before that. And, and maybe you've heard this before, but maybe not in this detail. But when Jesus appeared in front of Pontius Pilate to sort of get his sentence for claiming to be the king of the Jews, um, normally in, in that culture, in the Roman culture, um, you were sentenced to kind of one thing or the other. Um, you were either sentenced to be scourged or flogged, which is two words for the same thing, or you were sentenced to be crucified. And, and scourging didn't normally end in death, um, but crucifixion did. So it was kind of, scourging was kind of the lesser of two evils. And originally, Pontius Pilate um, sentenced Jesus to, to be scourged or flogged. But the crowd was restless. They were going to riot unless they had blood. So after, after he sentenced him to be scourged, he also sentenced him to be crucified. And I didn't know what, what scourging even was until I looked this up on, on a medical document, historical document. But scourging was where they, they, they took this thing, the Romans would take this thing called a flagrum, and it was this tool that had a, a leather handle and then it had leather strips coming off the end of it. And on the end of those leather, leather strips, it had um, like these lead balls on the end. And what they would do is they would take this person that was sentenced and they would tie their hands to this post that was in the ground. They would tie their hands here and then they would put them on their knees so they were like this. And then someone would come behind them with, with this flagrum, with this tool, and they would, they would normally give 40 lashes and they would, they would beat somebody's back. And the point was actually to beat them near death. That was actually the instruction was beat them until they're close to death and that's when you stop. And normally 40 would do that. But Jesus Christ being who he was and, and how hated he was at the time got far more than that. In fact, they beat him so many times that not only did his skin bruise, but it actually burst. 
And, and the skin on his back was actually, they were like pieces of leather like hanging off of his back and he was bleeding profusely. Which is, which is pain enough for anybody to go through. But that wasn't enough. So, so these two Roman soldiers, they, they think that this is hilarious, that he thinks he's a king, and so they throw this robe on him, and then they create this crown of thorns, and they push it on his head. And the skin on your head is very thin, so it doesn't take much to, to prick blood from your head. And they jam it into his head, and so now he's bleeding from his head, and he's hurting there, and he's hurting all over his back. And now because he has a robe on, the blood is coagulating, and it's actually sticking to the robe. And then after some time, they, they rip this robe off of him. So they, they rip all the, all the wounds. And he's hurting even worse. And, and then they, they take him and they put this, this beam on his back. And he has to carry this beam. And he can, he can, hardly, he can hardly even function at this point because he's in so much pain. And his, his family is distraught because they can't even recognize his face because he's been beaten so hard. But it's not over yet. So now they, they put this beam on his back and he's walking to where he's going to be crucified and he's being spit on and dehumanized. So not only is he experiencing physical pain, but his dignity, they're trying to take his dignity away from him. And then he walks, God knows how long, and finally gets to the spot where he's, he's being crucified and they, they lay him down. And, and you saw in this, this scene where they, they put nails through his wrists. And then they actually put, put a nail through both of, his, both of the arches of his feet. And when they raise him up, all of his weight is on, on, the, uh, on his feet and on that stake that's through his feet. And both of his shoulders are probably dislocated at this point, which is even more pain. And, and then um, as he's trying to hold himself up, he has, to, he has to probably push up on his feet because if he lets himself sink, then his, his lungs are going to be crushed after a while and he can't breathe. He might be able to take a, a breath in, but he can't breathe out. So his body is filling up with carbon dioxide. And this lasts hours. This lasts all day. And before this, the night before this, you've heard before that Jesus actually sweats blood. And that's not just this exclusive thing for the God of the universe. This has happened before in history a few times. It's very rare, but it's actually been recorded in human history a few times where when the body is under extreme stress, you will sweat blood or you will actually uh, appear to sweat blood. But, but what it's called is, um, it is called hemothydrosis. And hemothydrosis is when the, the capillaries and the sweat glands will actually burst because your body is under so much stress and it will come through your pores. And that's what happened to Jesus. Another time in history that this happened was a young girl who was in a prison camp in World War II in a Nazi prison camp and she sweat blood as well. And the reason that I go through that is I, I don't think we should ever cheapen that. If, if you're going through something and you think, maybe God doesn't get it. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to see this part of me. Or he doesn't really understand that. The reason that he died that way was so that he could sit next to you in that place and go, I know. I get it. When you're going, God, this hurts, this sucks, I don't want to be here, he, knows, he goes, I know, I get it. 
And when you weep, he weeps. And when you mourn, he mourns. There's nothing that's out of his grasp. God looked, the God of the universe could have died any way that he wanted to. He could have taken any way out. At the very moment that he's being crucified, he's actually the guy holding the the atoms together in all of our bodies, and he's making sure that the sun is the right distance away to, to sustain life. He could have chosen any way he wanted to go out, but instead he chose to look pain and suffering and evil in the face, and he wore the sin of the entire world on his back. He gets it. And all he wants is for us to choose him. And he respects us so much that he gives us a choice. We have a choice to choose him or, or not to. He loves and respects us so much that he gives us that choice. I want to, um, to read a couple more verses to you, and I'll actually read these in succession. But the first verse is uh, Romans 8, verse 18. And it says that I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And then 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says this, What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. He has prepared this glory that's so beautiful that we, in our human understanding, can't even fathom. And our sufferings in this world aren't even worth comparing to what's in store for us in the next world. What's crazy is that we're not even meant, we're not even meant for a world with pain and suffering. What we're meant for is what God promises us in the next life, in the new heaven and the new earth where there is no pain and there is no suffering. I don't even know that we're supposed to be okay with suffering. And some of you may even be thinking that, yeah, I get it, maybe, you know, God's with me and he understands it, but that's not enough because this still sucks and it still hurts You weren't meant for a world with pain and suffering. And our job is is to maybe make this world today look a little bit more like that next one that's promised to us. Because in the next world, there, there will be no more pain, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears, there will be no more loved ones dying, there will be no more diagnosis diagnoses with cancer, or there will be no more relatives with Alzheimer's that can't hold a conversation with you. There will be no no world where your beautiful girlfriend has to endure cancer and she has to go through chemo for three months. There will be no more shootings in, in, in middle schools or high schools or elementary schools, none of that. And you were meant for the world without that. Love is a choice that God gives to us. He knows your pain, He knows your suffering. You're never too far gone from him. He gets it. 
I want to share with you guys um, a part of my story. And it's when I chose uh, to choose God and to choose love because I finally realized that I had a choice. And this picks up my sophomore year of college. And up until uh, my sophomore year of college, life had been really, really great. In fact, in, in high school, if people were to ask me about high school, high school was actually kind of easy for me, and I enjoyed it. It's not that way for everybody, but I did. I had played baseball from the time I was six years old until the time I was 19. I was actually offered a scholarship to a small school my senior year. I had a lot of friends, a lot of people who knew me. I felt like my name actually carried weight in the community I was in, and I was proud of that. I was proud of myself for that. I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, we had dated for about two years, and um, we had told each other we loved each other, and, and I thought that I had meant that, and it, and it was all of these things were, were things that were my identity, that was who I was, and, and nothing bad had really come my way. And in the span of about a year and a half, I, I ruined my, my shoulder. I had to get two surgeries on it. I had to quit baseball because of that. The one thing that had, had any substance or consistency in my life, and, and I had to quit that, and it was the only thing I felt good at, so that was lost. And then I suddenly had to transfer schools, so um, I transferred to the University of Colorado my sophomore year, and and all of a sudden, I was expecting to make a ton of friends right away, and I didn't. I didn't make any friends. My whole first semester, I felt like I didn't even make one friend. Some of you might relate to that. Maybe you felt that way here at UTC. I was so lonely and lost, and all I had left was, was this girl. And three months into my sophomore year, she broke up with me, and in her own words, told me she didn't love me anymore, and a month or two later was dating another guy that she had been to before we broke up, and suddenly all of these things, all of these idols in my life had been destroyed, and I was suffering. I was hurting. Thinking about these things put this pain in my stomach, and in the, in the city of Boulder, Colorado, I don't know if you've ever been there, it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful city, and I love it with all my heart, but, but it's a place that there are plenty of vices to get involved in if that's the sort of thing you're looking for. And, and I, boy, did I partake. Because at that point, I had still, I had, still had this, this four-year-old's notion of who God was, and he was kind of there, but, but if he were somebody that were to cause all these things in my life, then who was he? Did he even care about me? Probably not. So why would I turn to him? I was done looking to him. I told myself I was done praying, even though I rarely ever did it. And so I started drinking a lot. I started partying a lot. Every single weekend, uh, if I wasn't home visiting my family, I was incredibly intoxicated. I looked forward to that sort of thing because I was a different person and I, I didn't like who I was anymore, so I needed to be a different person. And I started to get super, super depressed throughout this second semester of my sophomore year. And I reached a point where I, I didn't see the point anymore. I didn't get it. I was so sad that I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror anymore. When I would go to the bathroom, I would actually wash my hands. I wouldn't even look at myself because I hated myself so much. 
I would sleep through most of the day because reality wasn't, wasn't fun. It wasn't good. So I'd rather sleep through most of the day. And there was one night um, towards the end of my sophomore, uh, sophomore year um, that I'll never forget. I came home from a party. I was incredibly, incredibly drunk. And I don't remember who drove me. I don't remember where I came from. I don't remember what happened, but I was upset about something. And I, and I walk into my apartment, and my roommates are gone, and the lights are all off, so it's dark, and it's, it's cold, and it's, it's eerily quiet. And I, I go up to my room, and I sit on my bed, and I start bawling for the first time that in any of this. I started crying, and I was crying, and I was crying, and I was crying, and I finally realized that I didn't want to be here anymore. Through teary eyes, I looked at my desk, and there was, a, there was a bottle of whiskey, and then I knew in my closet from my surgery there was a bottle of painkillers. And suddenly this thought came to the forefront of my mind that the only way to, to achieve peace is to consume as much of both of those as I can. And in, in a radical amount of time, I had gone from, this, from this, this guy who had everything that was so happy and nothing had, bad had ever happened to me, and, and I believed in this God that everyone expected me to believe, and everything was great, and then all of a sudden, I was thinking about taking my own life. And I had this moment of clarity, like, what am I doing? And I don't know where it came from, but I had this notion to pray for the first time in what felt like months maybe even a year. And I remember what I prayed. I said, God, it's obvious that I can't do this on my own anymore. And I need you now more than I ever have. And I don't even know if I was fully aware of it, but I was choosing him for the first time. It wasn't because somebody told me or, or I felt like it was the right thing. No, I was choosing God for the first time. And I went to bed that night, confused and, and crying and, and drunk. And then I woke up the next morning, and I, I was hungover, and I was sick. And I was ashamed of myself, and I didn't get it. And there wasn't this lightning bolt experience where all of the sudden I had this amazing relationship with Jesus, and I was all better. But something, something changed in my heart that night. And all I can tell you is that three years later, God has that same guy preaching in front of you tonight. And that doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what God can do, apparently. I chose to love God and to choose love, and to choose Jesus, and I trusted him. And I choose that every day that I wake up and I put my feet on the floor, I choose him. And instead of wallowing and asking why, why pain and suffering, God? I don't know. I can't quite answer that question for you. If you were to raise your hand and you were to ask me, why me, why am I going through this? I don't know that I can answer that. And I don't think I'm supposed to. But in the midst of that, you can choose love. And you can choose God because God is love and he wants you so badly to choose you, to choose him. And I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hands, but I would encourage you, if you've never done that, maybe tonight you do. And we're going to be taking communion um, shortly here. Um, and maybe that's when you choose to follow him. Maybe you go home tonight to your dorm or your apartment or your house, and you sit on your bed and you choose to follow him.
choose love. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you that, that you are good, that you are loving, that you care for us more than we can ever fathom, more than we can ever comprehend, that you know our pain and our suffering. And you died on a cross, and, and you, you paid the ultimate suffering, and you were the, the one perfect human, but you, you went through the worst possible thing for us. I pray that, that that message is clear. And I pray, I, th I thank you that we have a place called the house where we can come and we can worship you and we can celebrate you and we can learn more about you and we can learn how to love you more, Father. I pray that everyone in here would choose you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for all these things. In fact, thank you will never quite suffice, but it's what we have. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.